never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess a living? Does tonight's movie feature creepy kids? Check. Does it feature a creepy song? Check. Does it feature a creepy house? Check. Sounds like a creepy classic. I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get to it. Faith, we're the world's most moderately rated public radio show hosts. We're not miracle workers. Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan and with me, as always, is my hauntingly haunting co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Creepy Classics Month concludes tonight on the program. It started with George Romero's landmark 1968 film, Night of the Living Dead. Zombies and ghouls. It continued with Universal Studios' 1938 film, Son of Frankenstein. Boris and Bella. We then traveled to the North Pole for director Christian Nyby and producer Howard Hawks' classic take on the John Campbell novella Who Goes There with 1951 sci-fi masterpiece The Thing from Another World. Vampire Space Garrets. Tonight, we travel to Victorian-era England for a tale of ghosts, sexual repression, and ambiguity. Before we introduce our final creepy classic, we would like to welcome each and every one of you to Cozy Corner. Be you a spook, specter, astral traveler from Dimension X, alien envoy from the seventh planet of the Slurm Derg system, or just Dave from Big Sky, Montana. Welcome one and all. We are so glad to have you here with us on the Graveyard Shift. Well, here we go. Faith, what do we have in the laboratory for dissection this fine evening? From 1961, we have director Jack Clayton's psychological masterpiece, The Innocents, starring Deborah Carr. The film is based on the Henry James novella, The Turn of the Screw, which was adapted into a stage play by William Archibald, where it got the title The Innocents, and was adapted to the screen by Truman Capote. The Innocents tells the tale of Miss Giddens, a governess who arrives at Bly Manor to take charge of the children Miles and Flora. Portrayed here brilliantly by Martin Stevens and Pamela Franklin, Miss Giddens starts to believe that the grounds may be haunted and that the children may be possessed by the spirits of the former groundskeeper, Peter Quint, and their last governess, Miss Jessel. Are the ghosts real? Or is it all in her head? Or is it something more? If you're looking for concrete, definitive answers, the film offers none. Nor will we this evening. Ambiguity permeates every moment of The Innocence, and it's a better film for it. If you have not seen this film, we highly recommend that you watch it before listening to the rest of the show. The Innocence was beautifully photographed by Freddie Francis. He's a familiar name here on The Late Night Fright, as he was the director of the 1968 Hammer film Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. I love when you can tell what a movie is about just by the title. It makes life easier, doesn't it? 
Rounding out the cast in tonight's film are Megs Jenkins as Mrs. Gross, the housekeeper of Bly Manor, Peter Wingard as Peter Quint, a role coveted by both Alec Guinness and Cary Grant, Clyde Jessup as Mary Jessel, and Michael Redgrave as the children's uncle. Released on November 24th, 1961, The Innocents was selected by the British daily newspaper The Guardian as one of the 25 greatest horror films ever made. Talking about horror movies is fun, isn't it, Faith? It's even more fun to talk about horror movies with a friend. I'm glad all of our friends are here with us tonight. We're going to take a short pause for a coffee cause. When we get back, we're going to Bly Manor for a date with some ghosts. Or just figments of our overactive, undersexed imaginations. I am Dan. And I am Faith. You're listening to The Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. We'll see you on the other side. monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. Bethel, here's the super sweet new cereal, Frankenberry. But I've got chocolate sweeties for monstrous chocolate flavor. Well, I've got berry-flavored sweeties for monstrous strawberry flavor. Count Chocula. Frankenberry. Hi. Ah. Frankenberry. Count Chocula. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Creepy Classics Month comes to a conclusion. That's alliteration, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Creepy Classics Month concludes. We started with Night of the Living Dead. Then we went on The Son of Frankenstein, The Thing from Another World. Those are all available wherever you get your podcast. That is indeed a shameless plug for our back catalog but if you're listening to this show, you know where to get your podcast. So just go ahead and right. tell 500 of your closest <laughs> friends. And we are a week late concluding Creepy Classics Month because we covered Ghostbusters Afterlife. That is a new movie that is currently out in cinemas at the time of this recording. We urge all of you to listen to our episode and see the movie. Will that be a creepy classic? Only time will tell. Have you enjoyed Creepy Classics Month so far? I have. I really like these months where we pick kind of a certain theme. I, I like that. I do too. And one of the things that we, uh, that it was a happy accident, all of these movies are in glorious black and white. And mm -hmm. movies just tend to sing a little better in black and white. That's just my opinion. I agree. So before we get into it, uh, we don't cover too much news here on the show. But we are very excited, like many of you out there, if you've heard the news. And if you haven't, well, here you go. Nicolas Cage is going to be playing Dracula in a Universal Studios production. And this should be very fun. What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm so ready to see this. And I've been reading mixed uh, reviews on people. They're kind of like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And I'm like, okay, really? Because I'm excited. <laughs> well, uh, another shameless plug for the back catalog. We did a Nicolas Cage uh, round robin tournament to determine which film is the cagiest. Spoiler alert, it's face off. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Nicholas, we need to do a part two. Not we to do need to do you, a part two. To do. Yes, we do. Nicholas Cage has a lot of the silent movie in him, mm-hmm. and he has a lot of the German expressionistic in him. And I think he's the perfect choice to play Dracula. I do too. And it's a lifelong dream of his to play Dracula. Yeah. I think this is. I think this is chocolate and peanut butter is what this is. I think this is going to be absolutely wonderful. I think and it, so too. And it was just announced that he is returning in the second Spider Verse movie as Spider Man Noir. So he will be back in that. So at this point in his career, he has played Superman, Spider Man, and will now be taking on Dracula. So yeah. there you go. I think Very, it should be good. I, I think it should be. When I heard that, I got very excited. I'm a fan of Nicolas Cage. I'm a fan of Dracula. And if he brings a little bit of that Bella Lugosi thing and he loves Christopher Lee as Dracula, oh, yeah. I think it's going to be something very special. And they're taking a humor, a little bit of a humorous take on that. this. So the movie's going to be centered on Renfield and Nicholas Holt will mm-hmm. be playing Renfield. And he's a pretty good young actor. It and uh, this should be fun. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Something to look forward to. So you got Ghostbusters Afterlife in the theaters right now at the time of this recording. And Nicolas Cage will be Dracula before you know it. So we'll make sure to cover that when it comes out. So, But now we go to Bly Manor with Deborah Carr. She's a lovely and talented Scottish actress who is immortalized on celluloid for her roles in such films as From Here to Eternity and The King and I. She's the lady on the beach. When the surf comes up, she's that's her with Burt Lancaster. She was nominated for six Best Actress Oscars, and she never won it. That's oh. a record. That just goes to prove what a joke the whole award system is. <laughs> she was 40 when this film was made, and although this role was written for a 20-year-old, as it's written in the novella by Henry James, we'll get to her age in just a second because I think her being older makes a substantial difference and might actually make this a little more creepier. creepier. Yeah. <laughs> We have some deep, dark stuff here, and before we get into it, uh, ambiguity is the name of the game tonight. Uh, Let me just kind of give a very short, brief definition of ambiguity so we're all on the same page. Ambiguity is not knowing what's going on. Ambiguity is when you have two opposing viewpoints clashing and multiple interpretations being available. This movie hinges on ambiguity, and I'll say it at at the front here. No interpretation is wrong. No interpretation is fully correct. It's all of them. Right. Correct. So (laughs) this is an absolutely fascinating movie. I think this is as deep and dark as Wes Craven's 1984 masterpiece, A Nightmare on Elm Street, as deep and dark as Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film, The Shining. It's on that level and nary a drop of blood is spilled to achieve the effect. So this was a first time watch for both of us. It was. I like first time watches when it's both of us. It's very rare. I feel like very rare. Indeed. Yes. I am ashamed to admit I had not heard of this movie. Me this, neither. This was not so you something brought it up. That I had heard show. of. I started doing research for, you know, some older fun movies mm-hmm. and just happened to run across this. And, and boy, am I glad. So glad you did. Am I glad that I did. Um, so let's get to it. What did you think of The Innocence? This is a movie for me. Uh, I'm surprised that it, I don't know how this plays today with modern audiences because, you know, we live in this age where we, we have to know everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. we have to know everything. We we need origin stories and we mm-hmm. need to know uh, everything about, you know, and these these big series, you we know, serial, 
serial storytelling on television is all the rage now, you know, and we have all these, you know, we have what, 30 Marvel movies now and we have to know everything about everything. Mm -hmm. So, so this is a movie that's very ambiguous. It's a movie that doesn't let you know everything, doesn't give you a concrete answer. I like that about it. But what did you think about the movie overall? Overall, I'm a fan. That's why I'm, I'm so glad you found it because this is a really good movie. I think it's, it's a beautiful movie. It's, it's creepy and mysterious, and it's just, it's got a little bit of everything wrapped up in it, and I loved watching it. And it's got a really interesting pace, because it does, it, it does not plod, but this this thing is the definition of a slow burn, that it's, it's, it's uh, the kindling is set right there in the beginning, and they light it on fire, and it just burn it just starts, you know, coming up in intensity, intensity, right. <laughs> intensity as this movie goes along. Let's start with something you said, how beautiful this movie looks. It's beautiful. Because Freddie Francis, the great cinematographer, he won two Academy Awards. He won one of his Academy Awards for the 1989 film Glory, uh, starring Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick. It's a Civil War film. Very good film. You should all check that out. He uh, he filmed that, but he also filmed this. He would go on to direct horror films. Uh most notably for Hammer and Amicus. So, you know, two things that we love here on the show, Hammer and Amicus. But uh, he was a cinematographer by trade. And so the story goes, 20th Century Fox, they patented this old technique. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't really understand all this with aspect ratio and things like Mm -hmm. this. But basically they filmed this movie so that it was very, very wide. So when you see 20th Century Fox presents a CinemaScope production, that's just the, the technique by which they would film it and then they would process it. And it's really, really, really wide. Okay. Cause they were putting it on these big screens. Right. Okay. So the aspect ratio is just, just huge. It's a huge aspect ratio. Well, director Jack Clayton, you see, he wanted to do this as a more kind of intimate thing where you're kind of close up, you uh-huh. know, and all this. But 20th Century Fox was adamant about this being in the CinemaScope because they owned the patent on this. And, and they had, you know, marketing analysts who said, you know, the movies made more money when they were presented in CinemaScope. Right. So they had to do it in CinemaScope. So Freddie Francis came up with this really, really, really unique technique where what he would do is he would uh, he would kind of like Vaseline outsides of of the lens. And so he's using point of focus throughout yeah. this. And then uh, it's and so these big, beautiful, beautiful, big shots, you know, and mm-hmm. they're able then to 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 divert your gaze where they want and they can fill up the frame and they can use it to great effect the way that they bring characters into the scene and out of the scene and what you're seeing in the background. And this is an absolutely beautiful movie. It really is. And. This is a very precise movie. I was doing some reading on this. I know the old setups, you know, they don't have what they do today with the uh, computer stuff, you know, and it's all kind of, uh, you know, done on the computers and, and things like that. Uh, yeah. Digitally is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't do it digitally. They use those computers. So things. they had to be very <laughs> precise. And not only did the, did the camera movements and the camera setups have to be precise, but the actors had to be in place, staged, right. framed and all this. So this is a real group effort. And then the other thing that they did was they use these big lights and they would, so they would light this thing very bright, especially in the first third of this movie into the first half. And then as the story progresses and it gets darker, then they start kind of taking those lights out. Mm -hmm. And I read that they even, uh, in the very first, uh, scenes when she gets the Bly Manor had painted the leaves a silver color so that they would show up bright on, 
on screen. So they had some real great behind the scenes stuff uh-huh. going on with this movie. And I think this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And, oh, it and just is. Uh, the the production design itself. And then what it, what it does is you have this big place and then this big place starts to become claustrophobic. Yes. And then when you've got these wide scenes, you can start suggesting things. And what I think is very brilliant about this movie is you're seeing things out of the corner of your eye. Mm-hmm. You're seeing things that may or may not be there. And you're seeing things because of the way that this is shot with the depth of focus and you can see things very far off, you know? Yeah. Really wonderfully shot. It Freddie really Francis is. is a master. Yeah. He uh he would work with Martin Scorsese on Cape Fear in nineteen ninety one. Okay. And uh uh, he was nominated. I think that was the last Oscar he was nominated for. He passed away a few years ago, but he's one of the great names in cinematography. And I really like the horror movies he yeah. he directed. <laughs> so we said that Freddie Francis worked for Hammer, and that's kind of important because Hammer in 1961 was on top of the horror movie world. They had started with uh, The Curse of Frankenstein with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, another movie that we've done here on the show. And if you haven't seen that, please watch it. All of those Hammer movies are just really wonderful. And the thing about the Hammer movies is they're taking the old Universal classics and they're updating them with a little more sex and blood. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's the long and short <laughs> of it, right? Is that why we love them so much? Maybe so. Maybe so. All the sex and blood. All the sex and, and Christopher Lee and, <laughs> and Peter Cushing. I think that has something to really do with it. Yeah, I think it does too. This movie was made as a direct response to Hammer being on top of the horror movie world. They wanted to do something a little more psychological. And so I'll take it. That's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, what do you think about the story here? Because what I love about this is... Let's, let's start getting into the deep, dark stuff here. Uh, Deborah Carr is absolutely wonderful here, and she's playing a governess who is getting her first job. The very first scene, they start arranging the kindling for this, and she's talking to Michael Redgrave as the uncle, who has not a name, mm-hmm. which is really kind of <laughs> cool, right? And what I love about this scene, I love this guy because this guy says he's, he's selfish and doesn't want to raise these kids that are not his to begin with, mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give him some props there for being at least honest, honest. about this. And, but he's going, to, he's going to provide for them in every way possible, and she is going to have complete control over Bly Manor. Yep. Okay. There's a seduction going on here mm-hmm. with her mm-hmm. in this scene, and it's a really interesting scene. You learn a little bit that she's uh, from a religious family. Her father's a vicar. But there's a there you start getting it right there in the beginning. He asks her if she has an imagination. Mm-hmm. And this is where it starts. Was this scene reminding you of anything that you've seen in another movie, a very famous movie where someone gets interviewed right at the beginning for a job? <laughs> yes. What movie is that, Faith? The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> this is coming from Henry James, The Turn of the Screw. Um, look, I haven't read The Turn of the Screw. I haven't read it. I don't know how much of an influence the turn of the screw is on Stephen King and the shining, but boy, there are elements. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can tell he was borrowing elements mm-hmm. from the turn of the screw in, in, in the shining <laughs> and Kubrick. You can see, you can see the influence this film had on Kubrick too, mm-hmm. with the way that it looked and was shot and framed right. and all that. But so you're planting the seed of doubt right there that this woman may or may not be of sound mind right there mm-hmm. in the beginning and becomes more and more apparent that that's what they're doing as the film goes on, which is brilliant because if we're going to establish ambiguity, we have to establish two views 
on it. Right. They're doing it with the camera work right there in the beginning. It's absolutely brilliant the way that they're moving around with the point of view shots. You know, he moves. Uh, Michael Redgrave moves in the frame. You're she's looking past you. It's it's the first five minutes of this movie <laughs> are a master class in editing and uh, and uh, blocking and in uh, photography. It's mm-hmm. just absolutely brilliant. But we have to set the, the tone for this because if we don't set the tone here, then the rest of the movie's not going to work. Now, what's I think is brilliant about this, this is a ghost movie where there may or may not be ghosts. So right. let's tackle this first. Do you think that what she's seeing is real or not? Do you oh. think do you think that 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 she is a loony bird who is who is being influenced because there's there's uh, arguments to be made that it's yes they're real and, and and no they're not. I will say that I did read in Turn of the Screw it's a little ambiguous. In the stage play, uh, The Innocence that this mm-hmm. was based on, it was not. They were actual ghosts and Jack Clayton didn't like that. Okay. So I mean Watching this at first, I feel like you can go in and assume that these are ghosts, but the more that you get into it, you let it sit with you. I did some reading on some stuff. I don't think they're real. I, I don't think they're there. Right. Do you? Uh, I mean, you I, could you could lean either way. I I I don't think, <laughs> they're, I don't there. think they're there. I think that uh, she's an undersexed. Uh, uh, rep- sexually repressed mm-hmm. Victorian woman, and the sexuality is scaring her. She's she's terrified of the sexuality because then when she starts getting the stories of of the Quint and Jessel characters, that's when you know. And man, they were in some weird, kinky Fifty Shades of Grey stuff that, <laughs> that we're learning, right? And the kids saw this, or were at least privy to it, mm-hmm. and so. Then it's like, uh, I think then it start her mind, it starts taking over her mind. I think too, you can, you can start at the point where she's in the garden because the flower is really important in the movie. Oh, the, by the way, the Freudian imagery in this movie, you and you can thank Truman Capote for that. And let me say something about Truman Capote. Truman, uh, I love Truman Capote. Have you read much Capote in your, in your I'm wanderings? Not that I can recall. Other Voices, Other Rooms is a wonderful piece of literature. He, of course, wrote In Cold Blood, which is another just wonderful uh, uh, book and then was turned into a great film as well. Uh, terrifying film. Truman Capote was homosexual, and he was homosexual in a time when that was not something to be, to, you know, to talk about. To talk about. Loud, yeah. yeah, to talk about out loud. Not like Bonnie Raitt, something to talk about. No. <laughs> Now, I don't think it was a secret, but it was not something that was broadcasted know, openly discussed. Right. And, um, you know, he was raised in the South. He's he's from the South. His uh, best friend was Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And he was a guy who had a secret. I think he's the perfect guy to adapt this. This mm-hmm. is a movie about secrets and right. the way that secrets destroy and and decay, mm-hmm. you know. It feels very southern, as in southern United States, it and does. he he brings that to this. It does, and, and uh, southern gothic they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it, and I think he was the perfect choice to adapt this. And he took three weeks off from writing in Cold Blood to, to do this. And okay. Jack Clayton says ninety percent of the screenplay was Truman Capote. So, nice. and it feels very Capote esque mm-hmm. uh, to me. What I know about his writing, what I know about him, feels. With the imagery, like you said, the flowers, the Freudian so imagery. So what, fl- what does the flower 
Well, that's the sexuality, right? That's of the female. Right. The bloom. And the thing is too, the water, the water imagery with the female is associated well, with the Well, you can take that moment where she's in the garden with the flower. I think it gets cut. Something happens with the flower. I she think touches she cuts it, it or... and and the and the petals fall off. I think she cuts something too. She does. Point. Yes, she does. At that moment, she sees the ghost of Quint. That's right. And then she relates it to Miles because he's up there. Right. So it's almost like she establishes right. this person. Right. So it's like this is being cast onto him now, and that's yes. kind of why she's putting and, these people onto them. And then there's that little moment where Flora. Gosh, and the kids in this are so good. Yeah, the, so the, the, the whole cast is great, but the, <laughs> but the kids are so good. And where Flora is saying, uh, "Oh, a spider's eating a butterfly," and that, if that's not you know the analogy for the entire movie, right. you know, this woman goes to this place and it just starts eating her. You There's know? even a statue of a of a boy like chained up in the corner. Yes, and I mean you can read off of. That. Yeah, is that the one that the uh, book comes out the mouth? Possibly. And it's missing. It's holding the hands. I think it's holding the hands. Yeah. But I know he's like chained up. Chained, yeah. Uh, in the corner. Yeah. I mean. So so regardless of if there's ghosts or not, there were things that were happening here with Quint and with Jessel. And they were into uh, sadistic, masochistic mm-hmm. uh, sex. Yeah. That's, that's what you get from the housekeeper, Miss Gross. And the kids were privy to it. And you can see Miles picking up on on, on these things. So here you have a woman who is um, uh, sexually repressed, I think. Do you think she's... Oh, I think I, so. I, I, think that's, I think that's the whole I thing here. I think so, for sure. She's the vicar's daughter. It's the Times. And here you go, and her imagination starts going when she's hearing these things. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're going to get into it. This was written for a 20-year-old. Deborah Carr's 40, so mm-hmm. keep that in mind as you're thinking about these things. And so... Then she starts. Uh, the, so you have Miles, who's who's imitating Quint. He's imitating his uncle. He's also what about twelve? Is is he about twelve, thirteen? So he's yeah. he's coming into his own sexually. See, he's right. he's hitting that puberty. He's starting to get lusty thoughts and thinking mm-hmm. things, you know, and and curious and all these things. Kind of like she's getting curious herself about what went on in this house, right? Right. It's absolutely brilliant. So were the kids sexually abused? Are the kids sexually abusing each other? I mean, these are questions that the movie asked without asking. I, I did read that that could be a far-fetched thing, and I don't even know if it could be very far-fetched. I don't I, think it's she's, that. She's thinking that, though. And then, right. So then I'm going, wait, she's thinking this. So, well, was she abused at some right. point? You know, and she says, I want to protect the kids. I want to protect the kids, which is how this movie opens with I want to protect the kids. And mm-hmm. man, there's something just off about that. And then, oh, they must be possessed by the spirits of these people, which is then it's like, what is this? This is a reach. You know, <laughs> right. it feels like a reach. But. Also, you could be reading the movie that these really are ghosts. So we're we're taking the stance. Oh, we don't think there's ghosts. There could be, right? Yeah, because the be. movie's not telling you one way or the other. Exactly. But um, so then here's the deal. This is where it gets really interesting. This is written for a 20 year old, and there's a 13 year old. Yes, it's still very, very, very inappropriate. Extremely inappropriate. Right. But when you cast 40 year old Deborah Carr in this. Then it it, it achieves like, this other level of, uh-huh. and it's weird because it's not ew, it's it's oh, what is this? Because oh, it's, what's wrong with her? Yeah, because if you have a twenty year old, it's like oh, a young boy is attracted to a younger female, right? But you have this young boy, kind of being sexual towards almost this motherly figure, 
So it takes it to a whole new level. Adds a completely new so. level to this. And I think I think her age then actually works mm-hmm. because it adds another layer of creepiness and analysis to it, you know, because I've heard some reviewers say, I think her age works against her. I'm like, I don't think it does. I actually think it helps. I think it enhances the story. And then you go, well, here's a 40 year old woman who is sexually repressed in this, in this society, you know, Mm -hmm. in her whole life. And now she's making up, possibly making up all of this stuff, you know? And I mean, it's some deep, dark territory you get into here. And, and, and the movie, to its credit, lets your mind go there because it, it's never outright about what what it is, right. and really just wonderful, wonderful stuff to, really to pull off is. the ambiguity like this and and to have it work the way that it does. So, uh, spoiler alert: the Miles character dies at the end. So, is he scared to death? What exactly happens there? You know, we were, did he see a ghost? Did did he uh, or did he just you know get so so terrified by this woman you know that that he he expired because Victorian era stories they love people who just got frightened to death <laughs> you know that was one thing they love their ghost stories man um, see Wuthering Heights uh, but uh, and then Flora you know has this breakdown you know and and, and it's almost like she kind of sees what her future in a way you know where she's moving towards you know. Right. With, with her with her femininity in this time, I guess you could read. There's so much you can read onto it, and again, what's so brilliant about it is you're neither right nor wrong. It's it's kind of yeah, like but- the cave in Dagobah in the Empire Strikes Back. Like, well, what's in the cave? Whatever you take with you, you know, whatever you bring to it. Because then you could almost like put stuff onto the house because so right. many. I mean, people are dying. People are being sent away. I mean, what's what's going on with this house? Like. Right. What's going on with this nobody, family? There's nobody decay. barely it's, makes it out alive, you know, and it's all decay, decay, yeah. decay, you know, bloom and decay. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really heady stuff. It's really masterfully done. This is, this is, I think one of the most thematically deep movies we've done on this show. Um, I, I, I really do. I mean, I put it up there in the level of deep, dark <laughs> horror, like yeah. Elm street. Cause Elm street hits me on that primal level. Like, absolutely. You know, that that real primal uh, uh, fear, you Mm -hmm. know, is it the shining for you? Is it just that you appreciate that movie that it's it's, yeah, (laughs) but this is so deep and dark. And so let's get into we were talking about we watched this separately, but we were uh, texting back and forth as we were preparing for the show. And we've come up with it's kind of funny. We had the same take on it Um, because I'm not I'll be honest. I was somewhat looking up the movie as I was watching it because yeah. I felt like I needed it. Not that I needed answers, but I wanted to kind of get you with the to, gist of it. I was for the most part. I wasn't doing that as I was watching it, but I was watching. I was like, I want to read as much as supplemental material on this as I can because this is so good, and I want to hear what people have to say right. about this. And I did it towards the end. I wasn't doing it like in the first ten minutes, but I was like, I really. I want to get into the head, like the heads of others, just to kind of see. Yeah. And then yeah, we both kind of because landed at the same. it is so open to interpretation, right. you know? Okay, so the way that we see it, and, and chime in here, you know, with because uh, I, th- I think you might see it just slightly different than me. I see it as the cycle, and, and there's cycles here. And what it is is it's the cycle of this society and then the cycle of, of life and mm-hmm. then this family. And basically, like you are going to repeat things that you—it's imitation. You're, uh, 
it's the whole nature versus nurture behavior thing. So everybody in this movie is imitating something that they've seen. And then that's why this is going to keep going and it's going to keep right. going and it's going to keep going. And she's the daughter of a vicar who's, who's sexually repressed and undersexed. And then, so she brings this almost kind of puritanical thing, but then miles calls her out correctly. She's a dirty bird. She is looking, she, she's thinking about abuse between the, the, the I mean, her <laughs> mind goes to some dark places, it you know? Does. So the religion has brought her there. And I mean, if you look through the history of what, religious people have done, mm-hmm. you know, and listen, man, if you were living your faith, I am not talking about you. I'm talking about the people who are running inquisitions and things like that and witch right. trials, but the, it does things to people and look at what it's done to her. to her. Now look at her projecting this in onto the kids. Mm-hmm. Look at what the kids have had to work with. They've had to work with this woman who was uh, subservient. I mean, there was some weird sexual shit going on in this house and uh, this man, you know, then was influencing this young boy who's he's now starting to act like her. You get the idea that Flora is starting to act like this Jessup character. And then you have the character of Miss Gross, the housekeeper, who's turning a blind eye. And there's people who just don't want to see what's going on in the world. You know, right. if we don't look at it, maybe it's it'll go away. Well, her. this is not going away. This is continuing and going on and cycle. Mm-hmm. The cycle's going to continue and keep going and keep going. And that to me is what I was taking from it is that. You know, you need to you need to choose, and you need to verify your facts. I just had an interesting an interesting thought. He died in a maze, somewhat like that hedge maze, and it was kind of circular. Yes. It's like he couldn't break that cycle unless pretty much he that died. That's brilliant. Yeah, you know, it's like he could not get out of it because he's and there's maze and the shining and locked in. So it's like that's the only way he was gonna. And Get there's another it. shining kind of reference right. back. That's absolutely it brilliant. Just hit me. That's else. brilliant. And I think I think that really kind of backs up the way we were we were kind of seeing yeah. it. And one other point I want to make symbolism wise, Freudian symbolism. Uh, the females are always kind of seen with the water. The woman drowned and and Quint fell off of a roof and hit the ground. So there you go. The 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 uh, females with the water, the womb, womb imagery, mm-hmm. and the the rocky you know, wasteland, yep. you know, you know, the, uh, the male, you know, it's, it's all there. This is really a brilliant movie. What did you like most about it? Uh, kind of looking at it from, you know, 60 years you know, back. I like the quietness of it. And for about 15 minutes, I went, is this going to like kind of pick up? And then it just, it kept simmering and it just kept drawing me in yeah. and in and in. I and think you had texted amazing. me to like, don't mind the pacing. Just, just, go with it and i did so i i tried not to let it like okay what you know let's let's get going um don't wait for something to happen watch what's watch happening everything that's happening yeah because everything really kind of means something when yeah. you're waiting for it no i, I really liked everything i again i love the look of it i mean yeah god it's just beautiful the, the especially in black and white right yes the, i don't think this movie would be half as effective if it was in color i don't think so the way it gets darker and darker and darker is just so good the and editing the super yeah. imposition of images on one another it's amazing you know uh the, the way creepy you, song yeah. the singing the oh, the, the it, electronic sounds that they use the sound design on this is absolutely brilliant this is a top-notch movie this is actually one of my favorite movies 
that we've done on this show. I've said this about a few movies before in the past. This is one of my favorite movies we've done. I think this is one of the greatest horror movies I've ever seen because it's so... Me too. I think the great horror movies, like we talked about with Elm Street, well, what is Elm Street really about? Is it about the disfigured guy that's out there that's killing the kids? To an extent it is, yeah, but that's a bigger that's he's he's an embodiment of what that movie is, which right. is about neglect mm-hmm. and and parental responsibilities and the way that kids and teenagers mm-hmm. interact. And that's why I keep going to Elm Street with this because there's an element of neglect in this movie. Mm-hmm. The uncle is neglecting them. He's leaving them with this woman who really might might not be of sound mind, you know. Right. So there's neglect. She's 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 neglecting them. She's really she's not doing right by them, you know. Yeah. It's that cycle and it hits you on that real primal level. And then it's like is this woman a pedo? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know, you know. I mean, and that's horrific. That's right. I will say this. The movie handles that element, I think, as tastefully as they can, because there's two scenes where Miles and the Deborah Carr character uh, uh, kiss. And it's 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 right on the line of impropriety. But it's it's enough to creep you out without (laughs) being inappropriate. And I thought it was handled as absolutely well as it could be Mm -hmm. handled. Yeah. And, and really great. We got to talk about Deborah Carr. Deborah Carr is one of the greatest actresses who ever worked on film. And what did you think of her here in this role? Oh, I loved her. I feel like she has this good, I don't know, again, with like I go back to, she's at that age where it feels maternal, but she also feels like a friend at the same time to them. She played, uh, she was quite known for playing women of good character and nuns. Okay. In her career, one of her most famous roles was heaven knows Mr. Allison, where she played a nun. So she played women of good, you know, good moral character. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they use it to their advantage here in this movie. Right. A lot like what lies beneath used Harrison Ford's iconography, against itself, you know, in that movie. So I think they're using it, you know, to advantage here. Mm -hmm. And I, I think she's wonderful. And I think the age, like I said, I think we've made the case why we think the age works. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see why, why, you know, you, you might want to cast a 20 year old because, you know, a little less life experience, but I think it makes it way more creepy with the fact that she's so sheltered at her age. But with a 20 year old, a lot of the times, you know, you can be like, Oh, this boy's got a, uh, got a crush, a little innocent crush on this younger female. You know, so when you put that somewhat older person, it's just, yeah. And they've made several adaptations of turning of the, the turn of the screw. Uh, they did, uh, uh, what was that? The Hill House uh, on the Netflix. The second season was Bly Manor. Uh, so they've done it. Michelle Dockery was uh, from uh, what's the show? Downton Abbey was in a BBC adaptation in 2009. Uh, the Others with Nicole Kidman can be considered an adaptation of this. So, so this has been done a lot. This is considered to be possibly the best of the bunch. Man, this is really good. It's amazing. Did you like? <laughs> did you like the ambiguity? Was that something that was working for you here? Yeah, I liked it a lot because, I mean, I feel like I'm still thinking about it, you know, <laughs> hours after watching it. And I saw this it. movie. I watched this movie over 24 hours ago, and I've been thinking about this like <laughs> all day and not just because I'm getting ready for the show. This is seriously one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. And, and, and that's why I love it, because I love movies like this that make you leave. You know, you're done watching and you still are thinking about the movie. It's still going on in your head. And it, I love when it's like that. 
And there are movies, and again, it's horror movies that really do this because they speak to this That's real human I mean. fear, yeah. you know. And I, I'm going to say it again, take a shot every time I say <laughs> Elm Street and The Shining, you know, because you've got the abuse element in both movies, you know, mm-hmm. is Danny uh, being you know, abused by Jack in that movie, you know, was, what was Freddy Krueger doing to those kids, you know? Um, and then the parents, you know, the way that they interact with these kids and not believing them, you know, and mm-hmm. then, I mean, and, and what Freddy represents, you know, in the psyche, you know, and then this movie, you know, brings, it's like all of those elements, you know, are here exactly. in this movie. Like I said, I was going, this is as deep and dark as that, you know, as, as a Wes Craven movie. And they do it without blood. I There's know. no blood. There, there's no, no blood. there's no, there's no, um, um, horrific, you know, uh, scene of mutilation or murder. Mm-hmm. And this, this is one of the things that I love about psychological films and, and, and they can be bad too. You know, there's great movies and then there's okay movies. And, um, you know, this is infinitely more terrifying to me because I'm still thinking about this and go, Ooh, that's ew. what it is. These, these kind of psychological thrillers, they, they make you use your brain and they make you, you know, they make you think and it's like. It's not just a bunch of gore on the screen, which that could be fine, but oh, it, it, and every now and then, I mean, how much fun? Let's let's go back to '84, like we're talking about with Fred. With Elm Street, when yeah. when the blood comes out of the bed, that is an it's effective amazing. moment because that moment is earned in that movie. Yeah. Now let's go to like uh, your run of the mill, you know, uh, torture porn, and they're cutting off body parts and blood, and you're going, ooh, you know. Well, once you get past it, you're past it, you know. But those, but these things that we're talking about here are things that stick with you, exactly. and that's a great movie because it's hitting you in that real primal <laughs> human part of your brain, that reptile yep. part of your brain. I want to end with a thought. Uh, a guy I studied writing with when I was in college is named Rick Blackwood. Rick um, had a few credits to his name. Uh, Rick's still around. Uh, if anybody knows where Rick Blackwood is. Uh, <laughs> Tell him to get in touch with us. I'd love to talk to him. Um, Rick was a great uh, screenwriting professor. And Rick said something that stuck with me a long time ago. People talk about the old days and old movies. And they say, oh, you know, they never, they don't make them like that anymore. Well, no, actually, the movies that have stuck around for 60 years, 70, 80, 90 years, guess what? They never made them like that. That's why those movies are still around. They never made them like this. Mm -hmm. This is, this is its own thing. This is its own thing. So this is really an amazing achievement. I am really in love with this movie I and do. I want to, I want to do a deep dive on this movie. I want to, I want to get more and more into this and find out as much as I can about mm-hmm. the things that are working here. And I feel, and I, and I feel like I'm shortchanged myself only watching it once just because of scheduling. Cause I feel like this is a movie that requires three, possibly four viewings to really, really get, you know, right. encapsulated in that world. Really great stuff. Really, really good stuff. Everybody who worked on this, you know, just it's top, top notch. Oh yeah. Brilliant movie. I loved it. Anything stick out in particular? <sighs> the whole thing. I mean, really, I just, I think, uh, I think this movie does such a great job of using symbolism mm-hmm. and not hitting you over the head with it. It's there. Everything in this movie is just there. It's a part of the tapestry. Mm-hmm. And what I love, I'll, this is what we'll end with. I think this movie is a great achievement because it does not insult the intelligence of the people watching it. It's asking you to engage with it 
And yeah, like true. I said, if this was made today, it'd get flamed because oh, it answers nothing. You know, <laughs> right. that's not dark. It didn't show anything. It doesn't need to show anything. Mm-hmm. It's so effective. I know. So it really effective. Is. Oh, this is really, really good. What a way to end creepy classics month, right? What a way. What a way. <laughs> you know, we um we didn't set up a scoring system for it because I had a feeling, you know, it's it's just a four. Oh yeah. It's a four, it's a four. whatever. <laughs> Whatever we want to... Uh, Four... Um, uh, uh, creepy kids singing songs. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a very short pause. This is a news break, so be sure to stay tuned for all of the fake news not fit to print. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. youngsters a lot of pleasure with Kool-Aid. You know it's pure and good. It has the Parents Magazine seal. And it's so thrifty. A five-cent package makes two full quarts. Just add Kool-Aid to water with ice, add some sugar, and stir. For the very best drink you ever made. Be sure that the envelope says Kool-Aid. Corner teen Mike Mendelson created quite a controversy last Saturday night when he declined his family's invitation to cuddle up under blankets with hot chocolate to watch Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. Mike decided to stay in his room and watch Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. In a strongly worded statement, 15-year-old Mike said, Why do I want to watch some lame-ass movie about lame-ass people at Christmas when I can watch this movie that has hot chicks and farts? We here at the Late Night Fright wholeheartedly and wholeheartedly agree. The college football playoffs are upon us, and after a spectacular win over Georgia in the SEC championship game, the Alabama State Legislature voted unanimously to make head coach Nick Saban a god. The real god, in an exclusive statement to the Late Night Fright, says he would smite Saban and the Crimson Tide. But their defense is just too stout. Better luck next year. Madonna and 50 Cent recently got into an internet dust-up over some risque Instagram pics the singer posted to her account. One of the photos featured the lingerie-clad singer hiding under a bed with her ass hanging out. Fitty made a joke about her trying to do Like a Virgin at 63 years old. 
Then he started reposting pictures of the photograph, photoshopped to look like Madonna's legs, where the Wicked Witch of the East dead under the house in the classic film The Wizard of Oz. The situation got heated, words were exchanged, and finally, Fiddy apologized. We here at the Late Night Fright have no dog in this hunt. We don't know who was right or who was wrong. One thing we do know for certain, Madonna is a whore. That was for you, Norm. That's the news. We'll be back in just a second. A new book claims that Madonna once smeared peanut butter all over John F. Kennedy Jr.'s body and then licked it up. Which just goes to show you, Madonna's a whore. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Wrapping it up here on the graveyard shift. Mm -hmm. All right. So we had a good one tonight. We did. And I was thinking about this earlier. We had a really great movie tonight. I think from here on out in 2022, I think we just need to do bad movies (laughs) because it's so much more fun to, you know, have fun reaming a bad movie. Yeah. We have to do analysis and stuff when we actually have a good movie so that we sound like we might know what we're talking about. We're a little smart. Like we're SMRT. 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 All right. Creepy Classics Month. Uh, did you have a favorite film that we did in oh, this? Um, I, I mean, it, it, my heart says The Thing from Another World. I just really love The Thing from Another World. Mm-hmm. But I really liked all of them. There was really not a bad one in the bunch. I liked this one though a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the best film out of out of the bunch. Uh, probably most influential within would be Night of the Living Dead, and then you know kind of most classic because you got Boris and Bella as Son of Frankenstein, and then Thing from Another World. You know, is definitely the most uh, kind of science fictiony. You know, yeah. and most kind of influential of the because that brings you to John Carpenter. So, really a great bunch of films, <laughs> right? That's what I said. I love when we kind of do a little. A little theme because I do too, you know. I do too. So, we do have a theme for the rest of this year as we are in December of 2021 at the time of this recording. So, uh, this is going to be a short month for us because we have holidays coming up. You know, schedules y'all are, don't listen to us during holidays, no one listens to us during <laughs> holidays, and, and you all don't go back and listen to the shows. Plus, our schedules, you know, always get wonky. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we're going to do two more shows before the new year, and we did say this is going to be devilish December. December. So mm-hmm. our first movie up is going to be 2013, I believe it's 2013's The Conjuring. We've got Vera Farmiga. She's become a favorite her. of mine. We've got Patrick Wilson. He's another one I just really like. That that guy's just very solid. And um, so we also uh, then we're going to be doing a Richard Donner film from 1976, The Omen. So we are closing out 2021 with the Omen. I don't know what that's saying about our 2022. <laughs> but hey, they're good picks. So good picks. Yeah, I like it. So devilish December. It's going to be short, but very very sweet. As we move into January, we're going to do uh, Thriller Month, and then we're going to be doing. Uh, we want to do some horror host stuff. So we've talked about doing Sfinguli 
and we've talked about doing creature features. We want to hit some OSI 74 stuff. We'll keep you posted on the schedule as because we we're making this up as we go mm-hmm. along. So holidays are upon us. We hope that you are doing well, happy, healthy. We hope that you're staying sane in these weird times that we find ourselves living in. The apocalypse may or may not be upon us, but we, we just don't know, but we're going to, we're going to go out with a smile. It's a privilege and a pleasure to do this show. Uh, we talked about Norm in the news, Norm McDonald. He's a favorite of ours. We were very saddened when he passed away. He said something very profound. It's one thing to make people laugh. It's another to leave them with a smile. We hope that we've left you with a smile. This show is a free show. This content will always be free. We will never charge you to listen to this show, but we will ask that you pay the smile that we hopefully gave you forward. I think, and it's, it's one-on-one. This is how this world becomes a better place. Because as we say at the end of every show, the powers that be would like to keep us divided along lines of race, creed, sexuality, anything you can think of to keep us divided. They want to keep us divided on those lines. We don't, we don't see that here on the, we don't live that way on the nope. late night fright. We hope that you don't either. We hope that you're calling up your friends, watching movies together and then talking about those movies. And Hey, Ghostbusters afterlife is still out in the theater. So go see that. And uh, when Nicolas Cage comes, <laughs> comes to the screen as Dracula in Renfield, go see that too. So the innocence, this is a really great movie. I can't recommend it highly enough. Watch this movie. If you're more uh, attuned to modern movies, uh, turn that part of your brain off and, <laughs> and, and really let this, this play with you. So it's good stuff. It really is. Are you looking forward to the conjuring? I am. It's I'm been looking, a while since I've seen it's it. It's been a while since I've seen it too. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into researching the Warrens. They're very, very interesting mm-hmm. people. So that one's next up. There's your homework. There you go. There's your homework. So however you celebrate the holidays, we hope that you, uh, you're you doing it with friends and family and lots of love and all of our best to you here at the Late Night Fright. So, Faith, does it feel like it's that time? It does. Feels like it's that time. All right. Well, on the count of three, if we snap our fingers, can we make the magic happen? On three. One, two, three. There it is. Time to say goodbye. Remember, Santa can see you. When so you're can sleeping. Satan. And when you're awake. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So does Freddy Krueger. That's terrifying. <laughs> that is terrifying. Not as terrifying as the innocent. No. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week for The Conjuring. Faith, take us home. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. See you on the other side.